Hello and welcome to the latest episode of When Sky Invented Football with me, Adrian Goldberg, trying to navigate a more fan-friendly future for the sometimes not-so-beautiful game. My partner in crime, John Nicholson, author of Can We Have Our Football Back? How are you doing, John? Refreshed after our lengthy summer break? Oh, yes, I'm very pert and ready to go. <laughs> I'm worried about you when you're pert, John. I really am. And we're going to be talking... <laughs> We're going to be talking to John about the current goal glut, the incredible goal glut in the Premier League with uh, Spurs beating Man United 6-1, Aston Villa beating Liverpool 7-2, my team West Bromwich Albion conceding two or three goals at least every game they play. And whether football makes sense in stadiums without fans. We're joined as well by Gareth Castick. Now, Gareth is one of the people behind the Phoenix Club, Berry AFC. They came about after Berry FC were expelled from the Football League in 2019. Gareth, welcome along. How are you doing? You're right. I'm all right, thank you. Hello, Adrian. Hello, John. Hi, mate. Gareth, tell me a little bit about then the origins of Berry AFC. Fans will know that Berry FC were kicked out of the league in 2019. They might not know some of the detail of that. How did it come about? Okay, so. Yeah, following the expulsion from the league in August 2019, uh, obviously there was a lot of heartache and a lot of uh, gut-wrenching pain, to be honest, for a lot of the fans. Um, We needed to then look at what the options were in terms of bringing football back into the community. Um, A lot of generations of fans had lost their club and lost their passion. And we needed to look at what we could do about that. So there were a number of meetings set up to start off with uh, through Forever Berry, which is the um, Supporters Trust, to look at which route we would go down. Initially, there was attempts made to try and find and secure a buyer uh, for Berry FC. And that was the main priority, was to try and save the club as it was. It became clear after a period of time that that was looking more and more difficult. Uh, There were a consortium of Berry fans that made uh, great efforts to try and save the club and purchase it from Steve Dale. However, the complicated financial situation, which I don't know the ins and outs of exactly, meant that it just wasn't possible. So we then needed to look at a Phoenix club and how we go about setting up the structure for that, which has been a journey in itself. It all started in terms of the Phoenix Club in around October 2019. We had around 300 volunteers come forward and identified roles, uh, coordinator roles for certain individuals. So we looked at the different aspects that were required to put a football club together. So the finance... Uh, the community side of things, which obviously we knew was going to be really important in terms of fan engagement, a media team, a governance team. It was really eye-opening in itself as to the amount that would actually be required to just even start to put the structure together. And you are now up and running. You're in the Northwest Counties League, Division 1, a mere eight divisions below where Berry FC were kicked out of League 1 when they lost their place. What does that feel like to be playing 
non-league football at the base of the pyramid, not at Gig Lane, but sharing a non-league ground with Radcliffe, only a couple of miles from Gig Lane. How does that feel for you? I'll be totally honest with you. It feels good. You may think that the fact that we've had to go, I think it's actually seven divisions below League One, which is where we were at the point of expulsion, that that would be devastating. And and it was initially. And I think, you know, if someone had told us in August, right, well, you're going to end up seven divisions below, you know, a lot of the fan base wouldn't be happy. However, there are quite a lot of positives now. And I think we are trying to focus on the fact that we have got our club back. There's some division amongst fans. Some fans are still finding it difficult to let go of RESC and the fact that it's not been liquidated doesn't help. But it's a community. It's a community club. It's owned by the fans. You know, our, our slogan is by the fans, for the fans. And actually, if you join up uh, and become a member, then you get a say in how the club runs, which means decisions around the kit, decision around the badge and all the, all the main kind of big influential uh, factors in sort of how the club runs on a day-to-day basis. And to be honest, so far, the experience of going to friendlies, and obviously we had our first league game uh, on Saturday, which we won 3-2 in a nail-biting, with a nail-biting last-minute winner. It became quite clear that the passion for the club is there. Passions there from myself, but also the fans, the fact, you know, the fact that we won, it mattered to everybody. John, you and I have followed the likes of FC United, Wimbledon, the first fan-owned clubs over the years. There's been loads now, haven't there? Hereford started again in non-league. Non-league Telford started again. Loads of clubs have had to do what... Bury AFC are doing and, and reinvent themselves. And almost always, I can't think of a club, in fact, where that hasn't been a, a positive experience for the fans. Yeah, I'm very interested in what Gareth's saying because I think the upset and stress of your football club going out of business is the powerlessness that you feel about it, this thing that has been such an important thing in your life for so long that sense of loss is very profound and you know and is what is upsetting about it but the other side of that coin is once you take uh power into your own hands and start the new club and you start to have agency in it then that all of that stress of the loss goes away i feel and uh, and uh, hearing gareth talk there and i've obviously listened to a lot of other people who've done similar things at different levels and you find that this enthusiasm and this uh, thrill, really, of being involved and it being a kind of collective thing of, 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 of the people who really care more than compensates for the, for, the, for the absence of the original club. And in fact, is actually, even though you're starting in the ninth tier, is actually a better experience. And that just shows, I think, that the, the important thing, the enduring thing, is football and community. It isn't money and it's not ownership. Um, you know, it's not having a rich owner and all of that. It is the game and it is the people. And time and again, I think, as we get further up and as more and more money comes in, we lose sight of that. We lose perspective of that. Um, and it becomes all about transfers and wages and blah, blah, blah. But really, the great thing about football 
is the community that um, revolves around it, that orbits the club, and it is the playing of the game. Like you say, 3-2 with a last-minute win. It Brilliant. I mean, that is brilliant. And that is as exciting in the ninth tier as it is in the Premier League, more so probably. Well, this goes back to one of your favourite themes, John, which is that the quality of football, if you like, and we're often told that the Premier League is this incredibly brilliant league full of wonderfully talented players. At some level, of course, it is. But anybody who has ever watched a game of football, even down the park, will tell you that a game between 11 guys who've been just fallen out of the boozer can be really, really exciting. The excitement of football really stems from the game, not from the level that it is at. And that sense of the importance of the game rather than a particular league is something that isn't really commented on and isn't noted, but it's actually true. Yeah. I mean, we're marketed away by uh, the big money uh, into thinking it's about the stars and it's about all of the glamour and um, it's about the money, but it isn't. It's about the game and it's about what you feel for the club. And, you know, Gareth perfectly expressed it there. And uh, I feel as though... There is a rebirth going on at these clubs, once stripped of these grotesque owners. And I, I, you know, I hope that it shines a light and doesn't dispirit people who feel as though they're being disenfranchised from their club now. There is always a future, as long as you take the power into your own hands. Gareth, what has it been like from your point of view? You've been used to watching a decent level of professional football. Now you are watching non-league football, albeit at a you know a reasonable level at the base of the pyramid. I saw one of your pre-season friendlies a, a few weeks ago. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. It was a cracking game of football. But is there a difference? Do you notice the the lack of passing ability, the lack of pace, the lack of aerial duels? Anything different to you? No, you don't notice it. And I think part of the reason you don't notice it is because you're watching something that you're really invested in. I think there's maybe a lack of consistency, and that's probably the main difference between top-level players and players who play in the lower leagues. There's an ability to pull off a moment of magic at any level. And our first goal uh, on Saturday was an absolute screamer that went into the top corner. But then five minutes later, you may see a scuff shot that, that nearly hits the corner flag. So, you know... There's a lack of consistency. Believe me, as a West Bromwich Albion fan, I've seen plenty of those in professional football. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, when you've when you've kind of missed something for so long and then you get it back, it feels all the more sweeter. Uh, and I think a point that was made earlier about sort of losing something that means so much to you it does hurt because it's a consistency within your life you've had a bad day at work fallen out with a family member you always think well at least I'm going to go and watch West Brom tonight at least I'm going to go and watch Bury tonight I'm going to have that escapism I'm going to be able to get involved in the game I'm going to be able to catch up with friends at the match when that's taken away it does leave a little bit of a void, which actually you kind of never expected to happen. So having it back, and I think the point that John made, having it back, but 
where you do actually get a say in how it all works and runs. And you put a lot of effort in and a lot of hard work. I mean, we've got a group of people who've coordinated this and they've put hours and hours into it. So when you get that victory, it feels really special. And it feels like actually stood in the rain wearing a high-vis jacket was worth it. You know, I, I'm lucky enough to have a position on the actual board, but you know, this is this is low, this is non-league football. I'm not sat in my ivory tower, you know, just making these decisions. I'm making decisions whilst wearing a high-vis jacket in the rain, trying to help the stewards and getting involved. And every, and it's everybody in it together. And I think you get that sense that actually there is no big players within this nobody's standing to make anything from it it's all about getting the club back together playing football and enjoying the experience what have you got in place at Berry AFC now then as a fan-owned club to make sure that the club is run sustainably and doesn't fall into the same trap as it did before so the club is run by um a community benefit society. So back in June of this year, um, we held elections for members to actually put themselves forward to go on to the board of the community benefit society. There's nine people on that board who then elected the football board, which is responsible for the day-to-day running of the club. So Chris Murray, who's our chairman, he then elected who he felt would be suitable people to go onto the football board. Every time that we spend any finances, we would need to run that by the Community Benefit Society. There's then a regular audit on the finances through the Community Benefit Society. So we've got part of the volunteer fan base. And again, without going slightly off subject, but the skill set is unbelievable of the fans that have got involved. We've got people in who work in the finance world. We've got people who've actually got involved in the media side of things that haven't actually necessarily done it before, but have picked it up and delivered some very high-quality products. So we're streaming matches online, which has enabled fan engagement, and we've also got programmes and we've created our inaugural program on Saturday which the standard of that program was still professional in my opinion it, it, it was easily as good as the programs that you would get within the AFL. The structures that we've got in place mean that it's one member one vote and you have one share in the, in the club so it doesn't matter how much you actually invest in the club the structure is 100% fan owned. Now that may mean, you know, that we may get to a certain level where we decide that in order to progress, and I think it's happened with a couple of other fan clubs such as FC United and Chester, who have been incredibly supportive and given us a lot of advice, it may be that we need to take on some investment in the future or any decision to dilute the shares from 100% fan ownership would be made by all the members. And John, people might think this is, oh, well, it's non-league football. It, it, 
it couldn't really work in big time football. Of course, clubs like Barcelona are fan owned. Now, they might have a slightly different structure than they have at Berry AFC, but ultimately, if the fans don't like the president at Barcelona, they can get rid of him in a way that very few fans of English or Scottish or Welsh League clubs can do. They can have a vote and, and kick out the president. And of course, in Germany, up until relatively recently, all of the clubs were 100% fan-owned and now we're okay, we're down to 50 plus one. But, you know, it's still very much an important model and uh, and it isn't one that's going unnoticed over here. And I think what Gareth's saying is quite a profound thing, really, is that it is that we have so much talent and untapped talent in our communities that can come together and work for a greater good of a football club that, you know, this supplants the model of essentially, which we, you know, we've talked about many times before, but essentially is rich local fella buys clubs, sticks loads of money into it. And it's kind of like it's all top down. The tradition in the UK is that kind of paternalistic tradition and what Gareth's talking about and what a lot of these clubs, these rebooted clubs, if you like, are doing, is it's bottom-up. And that is, A, more sustainable, B, far less kind of reliant on sugar daddies, um, um, but also, really importantly, involves more people in the local community. And, uh, you know, as, as you, you were saying, you know, you've all invested in it. You've all got something kind of emotionally committed to it. And I think that is such a healthy thing. And I think in these this day and age, we need, you know, where we live in very much more fractured communities where we don't have 15,000 people working in a factory and all having a commonality about them. We need things like football clubs to come together and to, to harmonise society and to meet each other and to be, you know, to be social around. It's really, really important. And I think it's what you're doing there is a tremendous social project, a societal project, as much as is a sporting one. And I think it's one that can be transplanted at all levels, and in not just in sport, but in in other organisations too. You know, I think bottom up always beats top down. Gareth, I know that the owner of Berry FC, Steve Dale, is insistent that Berry FC continues. That club hasn't been liquidated, and he's hopeful that the club will return to Gig Lane. That's Berry FC, not Berry AFC. Will return to Gig Lane next season. So. In a sense, you've created a Phoenix club when the original club hasn't officially died. How many of the fans of Berry FC have come with you and how much division is there in the town over the fact that you are this Phoenix when the owner says Berry FC hasn't gone? It's hard to tell exactly how many of the fans have come come over because of restrictions in relation to COVID. I mean, all I can say is that We've got 1,200 members, shirt sales. We put our home shirts on sale. We've already sold over 1,500 shirts. I'd imagine it may well be approaching 2,000 now. And it's hard to imagine that Berry FC would have sold more than that, realistically. No, I, I believe that basically the figures are pretty similar to what Berry FC would have sold. You always get a few individuals who maybe are struggling with letting go of the original club. And I think that that's kind of understandable. I've talked before about it being a bit of a grieving process, you know, and I don't mean to say that in terms of it's the same as the loss of a friend or a family member. It's not. But 
it's the loss of something really important within your life and people move at different pace in relation to that and I think we very much want to have a welcoming attitude towards everything we want people to feel that okay it might not be them for them now but in three or four months time they may feel differently and actually they'll be welcome with open open arms do you think gareth if you were to be able to play at gig lane um in the future in i don't know how that might happen but if that was a possibility do you think that would almost make the transition from the old berry to the new berry a kind of more seamless one and a more acceptable one to the whole of the fan base or does it not make any difference I think it does make a difference because I think part of supporting a club is the memories of walking towards the ground and walking away from the ground after the game and being there and being part of the atmosphere. And, you know, you look at a lot of clubs and when they move grounds or they get a new ground built, there's an initial period where you know, they, they want to return to the old ground because that's where the nostalgia is, that's where the memories are, that's where the atmosphere was created. And I think, you know, it's it's the same for us. We're playing at a ground that's unfamiliar to people and sometimes change. People feel a bit uncomfortable with it. Ultimately, our aim is to get back to Gig Lane. But for the time being, the focus is, you know, boots on the grass, playing football, um, albeit a smaller ground and in a lower league. But I can tell from being at the games that the people who've been there are 100% committed to me um, and the passion is there. And that, for me, is what we were aiming to achieve, was to give people that back. Well, that's a brilliant sentiment, really, Gareth. And I think John and I would 100% applaud that, as would any right-minded football fan, I think. Do stay with us, Gareth, because I want to talk as well about a, a very different level of football. And I don't mean that in any disrespectful way to Bury AFC. But the Premier League, John. And Gareth. A worse level of football, I would say. <laughs> but, I mean, it has been absolutely crazy with, uh, I mean, the astonishing result, Man United losing 6-1 to Tottenham at home, you know, who who would have thought that? And then when you thought you, the results couldn't get any more bizarre, you've got Aston Villa slamming Liverpool 7-2. And it's been part of a pattern this season in the Premier League. Matches played behind closed doors, no spectators, goals are plenty. And John, you've got a, a Premier League footballer who's kind of your man on the inside who has to stay anonymous. Give us a little insight into that player and what they've been telling you about this. Yeah, I met him, or I first contacted him when I was writing Can We Have Our Football Back? Um, and um, he wanted to speak to me because he's a, phila a philanthropist in that he gives away all of his money, he has done for nearly four years now. Um, when I say give it away, he invests it in various charitable projects, both local and national and international and he hasn't kept any money for himself for the last four years because, and this is like two hundred thousand pound a month plus win bonuses, etc. And he's a very much an he, he's a, he's unusual, put it that way, in that he is um, very much opposed to the financial model that the Premier League is run on, and that's why he wanted to talk to me. But um, but I've kept in touch, getting really well with him, and kept in touch ever since. And I spoke to him in the in recent days, and. Um, 
I asked him about this uh, gall glut and why he thought it was happening, and he thinks, in fact, he's almost certain it is because they're playing without a crowd. And he said, like, all of their lives, they're used to having crowd reaction to everything they do. So when it's not there, something feels really amiss and it feels really weird. And he feels it's essentially, and it's not, this isn't necessarily an original thought, but it is essentially like a training game. And in training games, loads of goals are scored all the time. And he said, it feels like that. It feels exactly the same sort of vibe. And he thinks it's because without crowds, there's much less pressure on players. And he thinks that um, that benefits strikers because it means they can be more adventurous and try stuff without, you know, if it goes into row Z, nobody's there to laugh at them. But with defenders, he thinks it works negatively because there's no one to keep them on their toes. And defending is such a a kind of, um, what's the word? Um, it's kind of like a knife-edged thing. And if you come off your game by 5%, then it can have devastating effects. And he said, like, you see this through the amount of penalties that there are. Um, he said it's lack of focus, and fans give you focus because you know that if you don't keep it on top of the game, then you're going to have 30,000 people behind you all screaming at you. And he thinks that that has led to basically to not being sharp enough. And I was not anyway, after I spoke to him, I was watching Match of the Day with there was 41 goals scored in two days over the weekend. And you can see it. You can see that it's it's almost like there are two seconds slower in their thinking about the game and in their anticipation of the game. Now, that doesn't matter if you're a striker so much because, you know, if the ball lands at your feet, you're going to welly it. But in a defending, which is so much about positioning and anticipation, it really does matter. And so that's his conclusions is exactly that. You know, it is all down to the fact it's been played without a crowd. Yeah, I think of players having a poor game and maybe getting the runaround from an opposing player. As fans, you might get on that player's back or you might urge them on. And hopefully then they do find that extra yard of pace or they do find that extra burst of energy to close down a player. And that's how crowds can work positively on players. And you, and you do see you do see players responding to it. At the same time, John, I've quite enjoyed watching football behind closed doors. I know you disagree with me on this. And uh, I've been very disappointed <laughs> to hear you say that, Adrian. <laughs> well, I, you look, look. You... <laughs> Stop enjoying it. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I realise as the host of a podcast called When Sky Invented Football, I shouldn't really. But... It isn't the same as the real thing. I mean, the real thing for me is to watch a game live in the stadium. But football fans who watch matches at home are very often made up of the same people who go and watch football in stadiums. There is another group of people who never go to stadiums but still contribute yeah, contribute to true. football financially by watching it at home. So I'm not saying it's it's the real thing, but it is ultimately, and it goes back to the conversation we were having earlier with Gareth, it's still a game of football. And in just the same way that I could enjoy a game over the park, I I can watch a Premier League game and I'm not bedazzled by the marketing, but it's two teams lining up against each other and having a go. Yeah, except for the fact that they're having a go in front of nobody. And if you go and watch um, Gareth's side, uh, they can have um, fans there. Uh, so it isn't quite the same thing, is it really? I think it depends where your head's at. I don't, obviously, you know... You take your pleasure wherever you can, and that's fine. You know, <laughs> even even massive perverts do, like I you, do, Adrian, yeah. can enjoy fanless football. Please feel free to indulge <laughs> it. But 
I think, and I think the more profound thing about this is that it's made me realise, if I didn't realise it fully before, that football is really about the fans and not about the sport. Um, because without the fans being there to react to it, it's just like mathematics to me. It's like maths instead of poetry, right? Like it's all facts, it's all there, it all happens, it goes from A to B to C and into the goal, and that's fine. But somehow, without the warmth of human connection to it, be it at a top level or be it you know ten ten tiers down, it somehow lacks import or emotion. And you know, I find it very ironic that somehow you can get three hundred and fifty people to go and watch, I don't know, Grantham Town um, in tier seven, but you can't get three hundred and fifty people in to watch you know Middlesbrough or somewhere like that. It just it's all very weird at the moment. Where ironically, fans fans would be more spread out in a, in a big stadium like the Riverside than they are at a, at a non-league ground. I'll come to Gareth in a moment. I'm keen to hear what Gareth's got to say this, but I, I've, I've got to come back at you, John, and say, well, look, the atmosphere that you describe obviously isn't there in the stadium, but if you're watching a game in a pub with 50 or 60 other people and either they're all supporting one team or there's a bit of a mixture of two teams. Again, I'm not suggesting for a minute that that replicates the excitement of being in the stadium. But many people, myself included, do watch a game of football with a pint in our hands. And it, it's 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 a secondary buzz, but you can get the buzz and you're there with your mates and you it, it's, it's a communal occasion. It's not in the stadium, but it is communal, can be. I do understand that, you know, and I do. I, I don't decry it totally. Um, <laughs> not totally. There's about one oh, percent of me John, that accepts so it. You're so kind, yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, I still look down on you from upon my uh, massive ivory tower <laughs> of uh, ethical purity. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's the, what's that strange? What's that strange rain I can feel dropping on my? Head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a golden shower, baby. Yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> But no, I think, um, you know, I mean, obviously the argument is, is, is it better than no football at all? Well, of course, you can say, yes, it is. But the fact is, there is football being played at the lower levels, seventh tier and down. So you could go and watch football with a crowd. So I don't know. I mean, I feel, and my, my footballer, my Premier League footballer, he feels that it's only happening because of money. I mean, it's literally, so the weird thing, what you can't get his head around, is that we're playing football in order to be paid to play football in other words the clubs are just running the fixtures because they've got to get the money off the tv to keep the clubs going and that is largely means to play the players yeah but john professional professional football john john no, it's called that. professional football no, it means they that. get paid for it I that's that, what but he feels it's like um he feels really that it would be better if it was just mothballed until everybody could come back and we could play it as normal well, I, know, I do know people who hold that view and feel that without a crowd, it isn't real football. And I think you're tending towards that view. Very, And I just disagree with you, which is fine. I was gonna, uh, Gareth, saying, what, we'll, what we'll do you make to, of we'll, it? We'll, Shut up, Josh. Uh, just like, Gareth, <laughs> Outside, how are you, son? <laughs> <laughs> There's only one way to sort this out. <laughs> Go on, Gareth. Uh, what do I think? I tend to agree with John, to be honest. I think uh, without fans, it's not the same. And I totally can understand that the pressure element of it has had a massive impact on performance, and that's why we've seen more goals. I mean, the podcast title with itself being, you know, when Sky invented football, at the moment, it's kind of 
without the without Sky, without BT, without all the various different media outlets actually beaming the games, there wouldn't be any football really, would there? Other than the lower leagues where there is crowds, and that that's kind of the strange thing about it all. I think you can take some enjoyment from just watching a game, but interestingly, if I'm watching something on Sky, I like to have the crowd noise on, even though I know there's not a crowd there, because sometimes I just forget and I think, oh, they're cheering. And it's almost like you think there is a crowd when deep down you know it's an empty stadium. Yeah, me too, me too. When I listen to radio commentary, Talk Sport uses a soundtrack. They have crowd noise, whereas my local BBC radio station just has the genuine noise in the stadium. Now, I admire their honesty because they are broadcasting reality to you, but it's much more engaging to listen with crowd noise. And in the same way, I find it much more engaging to watch with crowd noise, even though intellectually... I know it's not real. It's just a con. It's a bit like a laughter track on a comedy show. I think perception is everything, though, isn't it? And I think you can apply that to a ver- you know, variety of situations, a variety of sports and a variety of areas of life. What you perceive to be the reason for why football is being played is important. And as a fan... I don't like to think that it's just all about the money, even though I know to some degree the Premier League is very much financially and commercially driven. You have to take that element out of it when you're watching the game because you want to actually enjoy the game in its purest form as a competition between two sets of teams and you're excited to know what the outcome is going to be and you're excited to see those bits of flashes of skills, those, you know, excellent bits of play. You wouldn't want in your mind, oh, well, this is just being done for the money. I think if you thought that whilst you were watching the game, nobody would actually watch. Welcome to my world, Gareth. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how I see it. It's just that, like, I can't. I want to appreciate it for what it is. And sometimes I can suspend, this is before COVID, uh, I can suspend my kind of thoughts about what it's all about and what it means financially, etc., where the money's from, etc. But ultimately, I found it harder and harder over the years. You know, I just I can't stop thinking about what the what is behind the curtain all the time. And um, what my uh, Premier League footballer feels is weird is the fact that the major bill for every football club is the wages, and uh, the clubs are in danger of going out of business because they can't pay the wages, or at least they would have to release all of the contracts and lose all the value of their assets. So their only reason it's come back and they're playing is to get the TV money in order to pay the players, in order to play the games, in order to get the money to pay the players. You know, it's a kind of weird circular thing. Ah, <laughs> uh, but John, but John, but John, I, <laughs> that's very funny, but... The TV companies would not be paying the wages to, for the teams to play the matches in order to play the wages and so on and so on if people weren't paying for it. And and that and that's true even even below the Premier League where there isn't Sky or there isn't so much Sky. There's a bit of Sky coverage, but you can follow every game of every team on iFollow, for example. People are watching their teams and again i come back to the point that it isn't the same it isn't as good as but in these times where we all have to adjust 
I would argue it's better than nothing. Yeah, well, I mean, the interesting thing about it is that the monies that are particularly the Premier League clubs are receiving at the moment are monies that have been agreed in the last rights round. And yes, they are going to have to pay some of it back because it's not the product that they sold. But going forward, how much those rights fees, which are due for negotiation around the end of this year, uh, for the next um, packages, it'll be interesting to see how they're valued now. You know, what happens if one of those years of the next three years is going to be without crowds? That ain't the same thing, you know. And then also, let's have a look at the viewing figures. I'm in the process of trying to put together a whole piece about how many people are actually watching. Because we know it's not that many to start with, even in normal circumstances. Uh, It'll be even less now, I imagine. Maybe I'm wrong, but I imagine it will be somewhat less. So it is somewhat less commercially valuable. And it'll be interesting to see how that works out in the future. My hunch is, John, there'll be more people watching. We'll see. Go on. Sorry, Gareth. Well, I think part of it is, though, that there's so much football to consume. There are so many games being aired. I mean, this weekend there was, what, seven or eight games you could watch? That you, There is a danger that people do become a little bit fatigued by it. And I think, you know, that's that's not just coronavirus that's caused that. That's been an issue for the last few years. And I think if I link it into to Bury AFC and, and what's happened to, to Bury AFC, the excitement that's there at the moment partially may be driven by the fact that there has not been a club to watch. It was 518 days or something like that. So there's going to be a drive and an excitement behind it. Whereas if, if you don't have that connection to a club and you're just a general football fan and you're there watching game after game after game, it starts to... It starts to impact on on other areas of your life ultimately, and you know you, you can't maintain that, and that then may have an impact on uh, on viewing figures. I'm absolutely sure that's true. Actually, it's um, uh, and it'll it'll coalesce. I mean, if you're watching, you know, Burnley v West Brom, that that ain't getting a crowd. That ain't getting people to watch it on the television. Normally, if that was on BT Sport, that would get two hundred, two hundred and fifty thousand people to watch it. So it'll be interesting to see what the numbers for that are now at this this point in time. As you say, with every two hours across the weekend, there's another game starting. There's only so many steak dinners you want to eat in a day, isn't there? You know, And uh, you don't, and then you don't want to wake up and do it again. You know, it's, it's like this: the principle that it's oversold, that there is too much football uh, on TV, just too much football in general, is, I think, pretty well established. And that's why people don't sign up in massive numbers to watch it on Sky and on um, on BT Sport. No, well, listen, John, I wouldn't, in the general sense, I wouldn't disagree with you. But yeah. these are particular times. We shall see and we'll continue this conversation in a fortnight. Thank you very much indeed. John Nicholson, the author of Can We Have Our Football Back? Thanks as well to Gareth Castick and uh, our very best wishes for the future. To Berry AFC, uh, we wish to see you back in the Football League ASAP, Gareth. Good luck to you, whatever happens. Thank you very much. See you later, John. Cheers, mate.